Well, welcome everyone. Thank you for coming this evening. Hope you all have a good week so far and hope that the rest of the week is either as good or better than the front half. But thank you for coming tonight. Uh, let's bow and pray and just ask the Lord to bless our time of study tonight. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come and gather as your people this evening. We thank you for the love and the grace that you have shown to us. Lord, it is a great privilege to be able to come and to learn together as the body of Christ, uh, to come and just uh, fellowship and encourage one another, uh, to pray together for the needs that we have. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would bless this time. May it be an encouragement to us. May your name be exalted and glorified in it. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, tonight we're moving into chapter 16. And uh, normally we've been covering two chapters at a time. And my original plan was to cover chapter 16 and 17. But I started looking ahead and chapter 17 is pretty long. So we're not going to do both tonight. We're just going to look at chapter 16 and probably just do chapter 17 next week. But uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been focusing on the priesthood of Israel, focusing on Mount Sinai on Moses meeting with the Lord, receiving the instructions for the tabernacle, uh, looking at uh, some of the significance, the priestly significance of the design of the tabernacle, as well as the design of their sacred garments that God instructed Moses to make for them. And uh, so we're continuing Israel's story of the priesthood. And uh, tonight we're looking at some of the functions, the job descriptions of the priests of Israel. And he suggests at the beginning of the chapter, uh, some of the, what we might say is at the core of who a priest is and what a priest does. And he says, one of the core functions of a priest is to fellowship with the Lord, to be in the Lord's presence. And in the Old Testament economy, the priest was in the unique position of being nearest to the Lord, you might say in terms of in the holy place, or if you were the high priest and had that privilege once a year to go into the holy of holies. And then, so you were to fellowship with the Lord and to receive uh, instruction from the Lord like Moses, and then to pass that instruction on to the people. Uh, probably the, the closest uh, picture of this fellowship with the Lord that we see is Moses. When God, it says in Exodus, would come and meet with him at the tent of meeting, it says they would speak face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And so Moses is like the pinnacle of this picture of fellowship with the Lord. And then uh, just enjoying his hospitality and protection. Uh, we've seen how the tabernacle, just the way that it was constructed, uh, several aspects of it are like a house. And people being invited in to share in the light and in the provision of the Lord, like at the table of showbread. So it's, it's a house of God's presence, but also of hospitality. And then he says also just uh, to dwell, to spend time with the Lord in his house. That's really at the, the core of what a priest is. And the reason he tells us this is because we don't want to think or come away from our picture of the priesthood like it's a drudgery. It was actually quite a privilege to be in this uh, relationship with the Lord and to have this privilege. And so he says, may we never think that dour obedience is the essence of life in Christ, 
lavish meals, satisfaction, peace, and pleasure are the lot of God's priests. It could be no other way when we are invited to live at the junction of heaven and earth. And he says, clearly the priests had responsibilities. So there were things that they were supposed to do. There were tasks that they had to obey. But at the core of it is fellowshipping with God and being near God and dwelling with him. And then he says, uh, he turns our attention to some of the early duties of the priests that we read in the Pentateuch, uh, such as uh, caring for the weak, the orphaned, the widows, and the poor. And this became a, an abiding function of the tabernacle and the temple throughout Israel's history, that if someone was in need, they would go to the central sanctuary and seek to find help. And so people would give, they would contribute, they would bring their tithes, their offerings, they would bring food offerings, and they would bring it to the storehouse, to the temple. And from that, the priests and the Levites would live, but also they would help the poor and orphaned from that. Uh, we see that, uh, that original, one of those original functions still going on at the time of the early church in the book of Acts because there's this really interesting chapter or story in Acts chapter six, where it is uh, the first calling of the deacons of the early church, of these servants. And one of the issues that arose in the early church was not all the widows were being taken care of. And some of the, the Jewish widows were being taken care of while some of the Greek widows weren't. And so they appointed seven men, these deacons, these servants to make sure that uh, everyone had what they needed. And there's this interesting comment right after that in Acts chapter six, it says a great number of priests believed in the Lord. And one of the commentaries that I've read suggests that one of the reasons why priests became believers in the Lord is because they saw the love and the compassion, the way that the church was taking care of the needs of its widows something that had been a function of the Israelite priesthood and temple throughout its history. And they saw the church through its ministry doing this for the widows in their care. And it, it made the gospel beautiful to them. And it says the priests were drawn uh, to the Lord and many believed. And so this was a, a central function of the priesthood. But also uh, one of the things that we see them doing in Israel's early history, especially in Deuteronomy and then in Joshua and the conquest is uh, praying for the Israelite people and, and just encouraging them with a word from the Lord as they were about to go into battle. And he provides a quote uh, along those lines from Deuteronomy chapter 20. And so caring for the weak, praying for God's people. And he says that these early descriptions of the priestly mission were always pointing towards something more and someone more. The mission converges on Jesus, the true high priest, and from him, our job description explodes with new meaning. And so he says, along the same lines of the early priesthood, we are to still care for the weak and those who are going through difficult times, but we also realize that we too are poor and needy spiritually, aren't we? that we, we love and care for one another, but we also recognize that spiritually we need to be cared for by the Lord. 
And he also suggests that uh, just as the early priests prayed and encouraged the Israelite troops before battle, he says, as God's priests now, we're still in warfare. But it's a different kind of warfare, isn't it? It's, it's not a warfare with swords against flesh and blood, as Paul says in Ephesians, but it's a, it's a spiritual battle. And so we're still in battle and preparing for battle, but it's a spiritual battle. And so we're in battle against the world, the flesh, the devil, against our own sinful desires that are in our hearts. And so we're still doing some of these early priestly functions. But he spends most of the chapter on what he suggests are three important aspects of the priest's job description. And just a, a real quick survey of what those three are, and then we'll look at them more in detail. One is to fill the earth with wise, discerning royal priests, essentially to, to carry forward the mission that God had given them, uh, to care for the peace and the purity of the believing community, and to reflect the Lord. He says those are the three um, important aspects of the priestly role. And so let's look at each of those for a few moments. One, he says, is to fill the earth with wise, discerning royal priests. That phrase, fill the earth, is drawn from Genesis chapter 1, where we have the original creation mandate. So in the original creation mandate, uh, God gave to Adam and Eve this mission. And that mission from Genesis 1.28 was to be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so to the first human beings who were priests, remember, in the story, going back to the early chapters of the book, talking about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they were priests. And so their priestly role was to extend the, the glory and the beauty of Eden to the whole world and to essentially make Eden, which was a temple or tabernacle of the Lord, to extend that to the whole world and make the whole world a tabernacle or temple for the Lord. But that mission was cut short, wasn't it, when Adam and Eve fell? And the human race goes on. You know, they still are fruitful and multiply. Now we have 7 billion people on the planet. But that original creation mandate mission has kind of uh, grown and matured in God's program to now where now our responsibility now is not so much to fill the earth physically, but to fill the earth with, with the kingdom of God, right? With, with God's truth and with the gospel. And so he says, now we have kind of an updated new creation mandate, which is the, the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Even that phrase, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, is very reminiscent of the priestly job role in the Pentateuch. To take the words of God and to teach the words of God to the people. 
to take the, the law of Moses and to be their primary teachers and instructors of God's people. And he suggests that now we, as a royal priesthood of Christ, our function in filling the earth is, the earth is already full of human beings, but now our role is to take the gospel to those human beings so that there are more priests of God throughout the world who are in union and fellowship with him. And so he says the job of subduing the earth continues unabated from the original commission. We are stewards of earth, but the souls of humanity have become our primary stewardship. So we still continue Genesis 1:28. We're the masters over creation and caring for it on God's behalf. But now as the church, as the royal priesthood of Christ, our, our primary focus of that mission is making disciples and drawing them into the family of God. And it's kind of what uh, Samuel described as his role in 1 Samuel chapter 12. He says, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the right or teach you the way that is good and right. Samuel was a priest. He, he saw that as his function to pray for them on behalf of the Lord and, and bring their needs to him, but then also to take the Lord's words to the people, to teach them and instruct them and to extend the Lord's word outward. That's our role as well. And so he says, priests call children, neighbors in the world to draw near to Jesus. Just as in the Old Testament, the priests were the representatives of, of God to the people. So now we as the church, the royal priesthood of Christ, we are God's representatives, his ambassadors to the world. And we're seeking to draw people near. So filling the world with uh, other godly priests of the Lord. And then the second one is uh, care for the peace and purity of the believing community. He says one of the job of the priests, one of the jobs of the priests is to protect and to keep God's house. So going back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, what was Adam's role in the garden? God put him in the middle of the garden and he said, watch over it, keep it, tend it. But we know that Adam failed, didn't he, in that role? So Adam's job was to keep and protect and tend the garden, but he allowed the enemy in that spoiled that garden. And so he failed in that responsibility. So God took his role of protection away, kicked him out of the garden, and gave that role of protection to cherubim, who guarded the way to the garden, to the tree of life. But then we move forward in the story and we see that the Israelite priests were then supposed to protect and guard the house of God. They were to maintain the purity, the holiness, not only of the tabernacle and the sanctuary, but their role as priests was also to seek to make Israel holy and righteous through the teaching of God's word and through encouraging them to bring sacrifices acceptable to the Lord and offering them on their behalf. Their job was to seek to make Israel a place of peace and of purity, of righteousness. 
but you don't have to go very far in the Israelite story to know that they failed too, didn't they? So Adam and Eve failed in the garden. They failed to keep the enemy out. The priests of Israel failed. They started worshiping false gods, idols. And you read the book of Judges and you basically have priests for hire who will just go work for anybody who hires them to be their own personal priest. And so the priests failed in large degree throughout Israel's history to protect and uh, to watch over God's house. And so Jesus Christ came, didn't he, to fulfill, to accomplish what neither Adam nor Israel could do. Adam failed in the garden. Israel, its covenant with God at Mount Sinai, they failed that too, didn't they? But Christ fulfilled it. Christ is the new Adam who accomplished perfectly everything that Adam failed to do. Christ is the new Israel who accomplished perfectly everything that the Israelites in the wilderness failed to do. That's why Jesus was in the wilderness fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Just like Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus passed the test in the wilderness. Israel failed the test in the wilderness. So Jesus did what Israel could not do. And so Jesus became our great, perfect high priest who has not failed. And then we, in Christ, are now a royal priesthood. We've been called to fulfill God's original desire for the nation of Israel. You read Exodus 19, before God meets with them on Mount Sinai, it says that God intends to make Israel a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Peter quotes that in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, and says that now applies to us as the church. We are God's royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, not bound within a set of geographical borders like Israel, but filling the whole world of God's redeemed people. We are a holy nation and we are God's royal priesthood under Christ. But we still fail, don't we? We still fail. We're imperfect. We're sanctified. We're set apart. We're wholly consecrated to God, but we still fail. But yet our mission is still this mission to promote peace and purity in God's house. So in the church of God, in the family of God, we seek unity, not division. We seek peace. We seek justice, not favoritism. Throughout Israel's history, one of the problems they kept falling into was uh, showing respect or favoritism to the rich, to the mighty, but not caring for the poor or the weak. And so we are to do that which is just uh, and not showing favor to some and not, uh, not others. We are to seek um, righteousness, not wickedness. Seek the purity of God's house. And we're to seek love, not selfishness. And along these lines, uh, Paul very passionately says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. 
if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. If you remember last week, we talked about the fact that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, both singularly and collectively. So in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, your body, speaking to an individual Christian, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit because you've been bought with a price. Now in 1 Corinthians 3, he's talking to the church as a whole. And he says, you together, you all are one temple of God in which God dwells. You are priests, part of this temple. And the context of 1 Corinthians 3 is interesting. It's about people having their little factions about, well, I'm going to follow Apollos or I'm going to follow Paul or I'm going to follow this person. And they had factions and they had divisions. And Paul says that you need to seek the purity and the peace of God's house and be of one mind, of one body. Why? Because you're God's temple. God's spirit lives there. You are to be a royal priesthood seeking purity and peace in God's house. That function is still ours. And so we are to um, seek love, not selfishness, seek peace, not division, seek righteousness, not wickedness. That's our role in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are to fill the earth with priests of the Lord. We are to care for the, the peace and the purity of God's house. And the third is to reflect the Lord. And here he uh, concludes the chapter by reminding us of Moses on the mountain when he wanted to see God's glory. So we have this instance where God uh, or Moses asked God, I want to see your glory. And God says, you can't see all of me. No one can do that. But I'm going to take you, put you in this cleft of the rock. I'm going to pass by. I will let my glory pass over you. And then I will pull back and you can see as I pass by just a little glimpse of the glory of the Lord. And that was almost more than Moses could handle because it says that when he came down from the mountain, his face was shining. His face was glowing just from having seen a glimpse of the Lord's majestic glory. And his face shined. And he says that our job, Moses was a priest, right? Moses was a priest. He was with the Lord. And then he came down and he reflected the Lord to the people. So the Lord's light shined on him. And then he shined God's light to the people. Kind of think of like the relationship of the sun to the moon, to the earth, right? So the sun shines, the moon catches that light and reflects it. And so what we see at night is actually the sun's light reflected from the moon, isn't it? And so the moon reflects that. It, it takes the sun's light and brings it to us. And he says, like Moses on the mountain, we are to be those who reflect the Lord, who uh, are in, in our dealings with people, whether it be in our homes, with our families, or in our workplaces, in our schools, 
wherever it is that we go, we are to show the world that we have been with Jesus and that that, that is uh, evident in our lives, in the way we talk, in the way that we interact with people. Uh, it almost reminds me of the time when the disciples were uh, arrested in the book of Acts and it says, these are unlearned men. How do they learn all this? And it says that they, they figured out, they understood that they had been with Jesus, right? These men gave evidence of having been with Jesus in Jesus' presence. We should have that kind of effect on the world. Uh, Paul and Peter, both of them use this analogy, but, but we are to make the gospel beautiful, to adorn the gospel through our good works. Not that we can do anything to make the gospel more powerful than it already is, because the gospel itself is powerful to save, isn't it? The Holy Spirit does his role and he brings people to regenerating faith. But Paul and Peter say that we can have a role in that as God's witnesses to not only share the word, but also to live out the gospel and show that we have been with God. And so he quotes from Exodus 34, Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. He was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. So his face physically shined. And I have no doubt that it was something that they were afraid of when they first saw that. In fact, Moses had to put a veil over his face, didn't he? We are not uh, shining literally, physically, where people have to cover their eyes, but we are to shine spiritually. Let our light shine before men. And this time, instead of being afraid and pushing back, our light should draw people near to the Lord and to the gospel. And he concludes the chapter by saying, Moses represented the people and was invited to draw near. When he drew near, he took on a characteristic of the one that he beheld. As God is light, so Moses reflected that light. And the idea there is that as we spend time with God as priests in his presence, that time in the presence of God changes us just like it changed Moses. And then when we go back to the world, it's evident that we have been changed by our time in the presence of God. That's essentially what he's getting at here by re reflecting the Lord. And so uh, as priests of God, much like the priests of the Old Testament, we are to uh, seek to fill the world with God's priests through the gospel. In the church, we are to seek to protect and to purify and to seek peace in God's house. And then to the world, we are to reflect the glory of the Lord as we spend time with him in his word, in prayer, in his presence, in worship. And the Lord then using us to draw people to himself through the word, through the spirit, through our testimony. And so may God uh, use us that way. And may we draw near to God so that he might be pleased to use us in that way.
Let's bow in prayer together. Father in heaven, we thank you, praise you for the incredibly gracious role that you have given to us to draw near to you and to serve as your holy priests. Father, when we think about that in the context of the Old Testament and we see how uh, sacred, how holy, how uh, important of a role the priests played among your people, Israel, that should humble us, Father, and, and cause us to be incredibly grateful that we now have been uh, granted that same role within your church and within the world to, um, to be your ambassadors to the world and, Lord, to seek uh, to reflect your glory to others. Uh, as your, our Savior said in the scriptures, let our light shine before others so that they might see our good works and so that you, Father, might be glorified in heaven. So, Lord, bless your people as we seek to be your priests in this world. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.